Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Stefan Yordanov, VP of Finance and Strategy for Lufthansa Technique Philippines, the leading provider of maintenance, repair, and overhaul services for the aviation industry. Basically, it means they keep planes flying and make sure we all arrive safely. With over 17 years experience in executive level business development plus corporate finance, I've asked Stefan to join us today to discuss how business owners can strengthen financial operations, drive more business opportunities, support sustainable growth while funding plus profiting from innovation. So thank you for joining me, Stefan. How are you doing, my friend? Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm super excited to be part of your show. I'm a yeah. big fan. Looking forward yeah. to be part of it. Yeah, we've had some good conversation. We've, yeah, it's been good. We've gone deep in a short period of time. We've only talked a couple of times, but we've really... Connected. Now, before we jump into your impressive business career and your accomplishments, how did you even get started? Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? I I don't have entrepreneurial history within family. Actually, the first jobs that I took were I'm growing up and raised in Bulgaria. Hmm. And I spent 10 years in communism. And just when communism started breaking, there is a nice moment of my life where there was a petrol crisis and there were huge queues in front of the gas stations for car waiting to fuel their tanks. And we the kids were offering to clean the, the windows of these cars. And then there was a kind of a period where value of services and value of money was changing so fast. And at that time I was working on the street and I made so much money that probably now in equivalent days money, so never, I, I still am not making. It was a very interesting time. Unfortunately, since then, I went into focus on study and I went into a corporate career. I don't claim my individual entrepreneurship. Hmm. I can claim, though, efforts to stimulate corporate ventures and innovations within corporations and hope one day when I retire from corporate life that either I will be able to pass it as an expert teaching or I can focus on doing something on my own. My okay. father and my mother were basically working, working people. My mother was also fish servant. She was delivering mail with hand at the time and pensions were giving hand to pensioners. That's called her main task. And my father was the x-ray technician in the hospital. Oh, wow, that's a good job. Got it. So what got you into finance? Like why that career? You've been an accountant, an analyst, a financial controller, right? You've been financial planner, an investments director, your CFO, VP of finance. What? Is that just something you're naturally interested in? What got you down that road? Actually, it happened by chance. I was studying mathematics in school. I graduated Sofia High School for Mathematics, where I actually entered by physics, and physics class was neither good for two, neither good for one. So we got split, and they got offered who wants to switch to mathematics. And then I was like a kid who doesn't have much ambition growing up in Bulgarian being from transition from communism to mm. democracy. Some say we're still even in transition. So I was like going the easy way. I said, okay, maths, it's a good discipline to apply for something. 
I'm colorblind, so I could only apply for a certain level of technical disciplines and the other was uh, to apply for business. And while applying for business, I, at the time, I only understand trade. Trade is like for me buying cheaper and selling more expensive. So I signed up for, okay, there's some disciplines that probably with my poor study, I could not get. So I, first level is finance, second shift is accountancy and third is trade. And I was expecting to get into the trade. So I did my school university exam and immediately left to the seaside to party. And at that time, there was no cell phones and I would call my family like every two, three days and you wait in a long queue on the beach of one, one phone. And then I called them and said, ah, what's the result? And I said, oh, I got into the trade. I'm relaxing. And then drinking, partying and just before going home, yeah, what's all you enrolled higher into accountancy? I said, oh my God, accountancy, that's so bored. What would I do there? Oh, I need to rush to, 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 to Sofia, to the hometown, to like resubmit application. And I said, well, why didn't I leave? I need to catch a train, like such a hassle. I said, oh, let it go. So I, this is how I started studying accountancy. And it turned out to be that accountancy is interesting. And I got to it. It's a basic math. Unfortunately, nowadays accountancy from being basic math is becoming more of a literature. And there's so many disclosures, so many word explanations that is making the, uh, my private opinion is making it rather not so much transparent and then complex, but it is what it is. So I got good in accounting. I started working in my last years with sales company of consumer goods, global, global conglomerate. Then I got fired on my first job. I got in disagreements with people who replaced the managers that hired me. There was something going on smelling in the company and we and some of other colleagues got fired as an easy excuse. We were in our probation period and we didn't got extended. So I'll, then I switched to work in a Houston, in the hotel chain. I was accounting clerk, storekeeper, and it was a great place to learn. At that time, normally in the hotels, you've got, it's not very attractive jobs, but at that time in Bulgaria, there was no jobs, especially for young people, not many companies was hiring. So Houston was able to hire all college and university graduates. Very young team, a very good professional, great processes to learn. And I spent two and a half years there. And then I was looking for to grow further because I had the dilemma, shall I continue growing in operations in Houston or shall I continue with finance and accounting, which is my study. And I just fi finalized my master's degree in finance and accounting. So mm. that came an opportunity. A team from PricewaterhouseCoopers, a global consulting company, spin-off, and they have created a consulting company for corporate finance of themselves. And I was, I applied with them. A friend of mine advised me to do that. There's, 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 and I got my first job in corporate finance as an analyst. It was great to switch from hotels to the world of corporate finance. And mm. We were doing great deals, valuations, due diligences. We had the deal of the year in Bulgaria for the privatization of state printing house. We were subcontracted to do some international investment banks to do some projects in the country. It was a great time. And then I switched to France Pharmaceutical Company, where I stayed quite a short spell of time because I was caught by people that I used to work with consulting and then invited me to join their economical group mm. where I moved and I started as a financial controller to set up the finance department in a joint venture with a German publishing group. The product was printed newspapers, magazines, 
And yeah. also they were going into digital, which was super exciting at the time, online and digital. Yeah. And they were the first uh, elements where I got excited of uh, new things. For the newspapers, I thought, okay, that's a classic. You, it's a print press, not so much to run, but online was great. And the company at that time was innovating and I was very curious in the two developments and it's got me into my focus into what could be the technical drive for the future. Mm. I stayed there three years and I got moved within the group into the investment department where basically my job was to go to banks and withdraw money for projects of the company, which were very interesting, very diverse. And one of those projects was uh, to finance a solar power plant. Really? And uh, this is where I got my fascination adding up to, to, to technology, the renewables. And with some friends, we also registered and established Bulgarian Photovoltaic Associations. I'm one of the founding members. It's associations for representing interests of business in photovoltaic and solar in Bulgaria. I stayed with this company for two years and then I joined Lufthansa where I'm since 13 years. I work for Lufthansa Technik, basically in the, all my career in the aircraft maintenance field. I was for nine years in Bulgaria, CFO compliance officer. And then after some years, my talent was spotted and I got invited to participate in international project. I was something like a finance expert for international growth. I was doing evaluation on the site, negotiation, financial modeling for new projects. And we had quite interesting projects to travel the world. And this is how I came to Asia. I got fascinated by the Asian culture and same opportunity to take a job in Philippines. And I'm in Philippines since four years. I have 40 people in finance and seven in business development, as strategy and corporate projects. In finance, we do classical finance operation and in business development, we've done quite exciting things where again, I'm able to perceive and chase my passion for technology and for innovation. We did two sets of challenges, one prior COVID and one after COVID. And now we are adapting new technologies from, from outside and especially from the startups into aviation maintenance. And also to use, we use this impulse from the startups to sparkle internal innovation within the company. And it's also is giving fruitful results. We actually build up a small web to manage this internal communication and we try to ensure full transparency. If we want to encourage and also want to give priority on everyone who submits the idea and also try to bring people to follow their ideas, to be on the driving seat of implementing this idea, which I find great, especially to the young guys, not only seeing your things happening, but you the one to implement. So that's my resume in more than one minute. Yeah, no, that's excellent. It's very decorated. So one of the things I'm curious about are what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced? There's a lot in there about uh, like evaluating deals, doing due diligence, the working in the investment department, being a finance project for international projects. So I imagine, it, was it a, just a smooth sailing the whole time, laughing and giggling all the way? Or obviously you had some challenges in that. What were some of the big issues that, you know, or lessons you had to learn as you went? I would try to answer generic and I would do an opening to my answer. Doing a job is a problem by itself and that's why you got paid to do it. Otherwise, if it's only pleasure, you'll be the one who pays for it. Overall, each things you tackle has two elements. First is the people and then is the specifics. And the specifics, they also have two major elements. One is the regulations and the frame and the other is content. 
And when you deal with people, it's very important how you're able to talk to people and to transpose your message. I have to admit that I used to be, I'm still very rigid, but you should see me when I was young. And I was going in quite a ridiculous conflict. There is a book by Cervantes called Don Quixote. It's about a crazy guy who is storming windmills. And I was a little bit like this. I was bluntly believing in my cause and I was like going to fight for this. Yeah. And then after a while, I started thinking that fights is not going to bring you ultimately to, to success. Why? You start becoming, after having some bloody nose from time to time, you, got to, you, you need to realize that not everyone is below your weight class. And that sometimes it's not about you being right, but it's not the right approach. So there's lots of, not lots of learning, but uh, being into conflict developed me and me passionate to resolve conflict. And sometimes conflict is a way to start, but you should not be stay longer in the conflict and you need to be able to know how to drive it and as soon as possible to stop it and contain it because otherwise it could be a, an explosion. So it's, it's the learning of how to deal with people in a conflicting situation. What I have retained is that I'm still relatively brave and bravery is something which I found less and less in the modern life and in less cultures are encouraging bravery. That doesn't mean you being crazy. It yep. means being brave to stand for your position, to stand for your moral, to stand for the right thing and being able to engage others and to understand this. And then I think I, through sometimes I was able to develop an empathy and I also value relationship, especially in contradicting situation. I, with, with, through my career, I still have friends where I'm totally disagreeing professionally, but they are one of my best friends in life. <laughs> and it's very interesting that again, I, you start with the conflict, then through the conflict, you understand that you have same values, but different positions and you build respect on you being able to justify its cause and it starts working. So that, that I think relationship management in a really honorable way was working for me through the years. I hope it works for the future. I'm trying to reshape my approach that I'm not so much going my way, rather trying to adapt to the needs of other people, trying to adapt to the situation in negotiation and trying to achieve what I can get the best out of it, not just one. Owing rather. So one, one of those elements, then you live and you build experience, you build knowledge and it's very different to have an information and then to have knowledge. And I've studied a lot. I self-studying myself, especially financial modeling. Whenever I was having free time, I would like, at the time I was searching for books, then online came and you were like Googling every day and something new comes up, you study it. You try it and then you talk with people and then you share experience, some kind of forums or with friends and interested. So the other thing is you should never like consider you reach the limit and you should always try to see what's new and try to talk what really matters and what's the content and try to find people who understand it and try to get the best out of them. But that's also something that helped me. Help me grow career-wise. Yeah, I love but that. But I've slipped many times on the way. It's, I step on some people's feet. I, I did some uh, stupid stuff. So I'm a normal human. And uh, what maybe also if I'm able to give an advice to the audience is not to give up. Mm, em no. Embrace your failures, make your learnings, and keep up. Yeah. Now, Don't give up. 
For people that are listening that there are maybe a smaller, medium-sized business owner, you talked about financial modeling. First off, you gave some great tips and just on how to conduct yourself, choosing your battles, being brave. I thought empathy, relationships, honor, negotiation skills, those were all fantastic pieces of advice. Now on the financial side, you mentioned like financial modeling and earlier you talked about like deal evaluation and due diligence. So if someone's a small business owner or a medium-sized business owner, do you have any advice for them if either they're starting or struggling, at least in terms of what they should be worried about or looking at that maybe, you know, others miss, right? In times, in terms of trying to steer the ship properly and make sure they're allocating resources effectively. Business is all about cash. So whenever you manage financially, the company first is the cash, second is you follow compliance. And don't get into any tax trouble. And then it's management, accounting, balance sheets, and whatsoever. So first thing is strong control on cash. And also it goes on evaluations. You need to look for a company. When you look at the company or a business or whatsoever, you need to understand how cash is generated or what the potential to generate cash. Then you need to figure what are the important factors to understand the business model, to understand the risk and chances, to understand dependencies. Is it one customer dependence? Can you grow your customer base? What is the uh, supplier? There are many books on vice supportive forces or other strategy aspects, but you really need to understand the business model. And and the the purpose of business is to make money. How this company makes money, and then you Mm -hmm. need to evaluate it. And what will happen, very important, when, when you change ownership. You need to really try to put yourself, it's like, you go to buy a suit, you see the suit in its put on, on the window, looks nice, but try to see how it looks when you put it on yourself. So imagine yourself running the company or being the owner of the company, what will happen? What will change? Imagine you mm. fire the new, the previous owner that probably right. is the CEO of a small and mid. Yep. Would this business w- would be able to run? To what extent is dependent on that person? That's right. very important. What expect is depends on connections. There are lots of things that not, are not on the books. You need to look for a relationship of the models, how, how things works and uh, what is the fundament that they're based and built. And if they don't exist, how are you able to replace this? How are you going to fix it? Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I, I'm aware that most business transactions in terms of buying or selling business and mergers and acquisitions, a lot of them are earn out in the small business world because Exactly like you said, the business is dependent on one person. You know, they're not really clear about their business, all that stuff. And so there has to be, they. it's not just a tidy sale. I think when you get to a larger scale company, there's more documentation, systems, processes, right? There's even though though the same thing supply and even more, there's lots of skeletons and you need to try to find it and you need to look for the rational. Same topics that are valid for huge enterprises are valid for small businesses, just the scale is bigger. Mm, just more zeros attached. Okay. Zeros, people. Uh, yeah, I love this because, okay. Assets, machinery, yeah. depends. Yeah. yeah, I helped a company do, they were on the verge of bankruptcy and I helped them do $3.2 million US in eight months. And it was just applying what I had used to grow my local brick and mortar small business, but they were an online business and they could, and if you had a credit card and an internet connection, you, they could take your money and deliver what you were buying. So it was exactly that. It was like the principles were the same. It was just a more scalable model, like a hundred percent. So I love that. I love that. So can you, but that's again, I, I want to revert back to what right. you say. You see a company that you see that 
it's able to deliver something, but for whatsoever reasons, it's not doing it. And then I said, okay, I'll find my Dario and I put my Dario in these operations and here and there I can do that and that, and I can scale it. So then for you, there is a value that you can contribute for that company. Mm -hmm. And then from that perspective, this company has special value for you more than it's seen. So probably going through the opportunity and you'll take the risk of bringing Dario fixing a few things here and there, you can right. find some kind of a, a good piece of company that can grow scalable and can really bring after the turnaround uh, high evaluation. Is that is that a key part of your business development strategy for you and your team, mergers and acquisitions in any sort or not as much? We don't do so much mergers and acquisition, at least I haven't done with Lufthansa. I've done before in my previous companies. But again, it's it's the ability for you because what, what is the human nature? You make decisions for the future based on past experience. Financial records is what has happened in the past. You believe that extrapolating them, this will happen in the future. It's built with expectations from everyone. And everyone believes that the future will be great. Yeah, nothing like COVID's going to happen. It's going to be gravy. Yes, yes. Oh, I have a funny story. I, I just came from a conference and there was one guy who reminded me that we had a big finance meetings within our group, with our group CFO, and we we're talking about future, about issues with the Philippines. We needed to fix something. I said, hey, have you heard what's going in China? And I said, yeah, I said, this will be big and there will be problems whatsoever. I had the intuitions and honestly, I believe our group will have much bigger problems than the local problem. And then some years after, our group took money from the German government, from the European Union, in order to, to survive. The local problem got fixed. He got hit, but it went up faster. And now this person reminded me my words. And I said, oh, I hate when I'm a, when I'm a prophet because I, I'm mostly my mind because I'm not an entrepreneur person. I'm rather a risk, risk adverse person. So I see when I look forward, I see mostly problems. When I look somewhere, first I see it's a problem. And then I look for ways how to fix or like how to adopt or how to accept. Yeah. But I think that's healthy though. Funny story. Yeah. Yeah. It's healthy. And then. So my message is, you need to understand, okay, what is the existing situation and what has happened in the past, but you also need to understand what is going to happen in the future. Is this able to continue sustainably and deliver what you plan to deliver? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, I know this is very, I'm about to ask a very generic advice question, but there are there any ratios you would recommend in terms of consistently investing? So we spent... For example, I spent $50,000 to hire seven researchers to go through all the academic literature at the beginning of COVID to figure out what makes or breaks success for a small and medium-sized business. And we found critical success factors. And one of them was money management, obviously. Like, that's a big, it's an important thing. Now, I wanted to ask, do you have any ratios? Because, for example, one of the things that we learned was maintaining a lean operation and reinvesting in research and development is important. I know some people have a rule of thumb for investing in marketing and sales, developing marketing and sales continuously. Do you have any ratios? Again, this is just really generic advice for the listeners. If they have a business, is there a goal that they should hope to have or how, you know, it's being allocated? Again, it's very blanket. It's not going to apply to all situations, but I feel like 5% into marketing and sales and 85% on delivery and like 10% on compliance, like that may not be a healthy Ratio, do you, you know what I mean? Is that a fair question to ask? Yeah, I understand your question. I will reformulate my answer, not on how you distribute, on what percentage of your revenue or the, your cost structure will be, because it generally defines on what type of business you do. But I will make an advice on your cash position. You should 
always tries to have as much as possible cash coverage for whatever happens. You need to fuck it. You like an emergency fund for the company. Really try to build cash reserves for you for at least two, three months ahead to cover the, your cash costs. Meaning, first thing is salaries. Make sure your employees are always getting paid on time. And make sure you're able to have good relationship with supplier that you can enjoy a good credit or some support to restructure and organize payment plan when it's needed. Especially being an SME, things happen and technology disruptions may put you in, into difficult situation. And in, for you to recover, it's basically, as I said, you walk, you, you run, you sleep, you stand up and walk. In order to be able to stand up, you need some time to recover, it, regroup, mm. reshape. So build up your reserves. Build mm. up your reserves. Mm. Big cash reserves. Be, yeah. be conservative. When it's about company money, be conservative. When it's about your money, it's your lifestyle. But when you deal with company money, be extremely conservative. It's always paid out. Don't take unnecessary financing. Try to manage resources. Yes. And don't take it's a cash things. Don't go for the uh, focus. What is the installment? Don't go, oh, this is the interest. Interest is one of the components of, uh, of the financing. Look for installments that you can manage. Look for, uh, for payment terms that you can manage. And look for ability to prepay when you can without big charges, but look for installments that's not going to kill you. Yeah, I love that. That is such, that is so good. Yeah. Some of the factors, at least under money management, because once we had the eight factors and I'll share the eight factors, just because I know some of the people maybe tuning in, haven't heard our show before, but they're basically, it was self-efficacy and this applied regardless of hostile government, friendly government, good economy, bad economy. And it was the eight critical success factors were self-efficacy, market intelligence, marketing strategy, sales strategy, and skills, money management, business opera, oh, strategic planning, business operations, and business intelligence. I'm going to go through those again because I usually, it's self-efficacy, market intelligence, strategic planning. I like to say them in the order that I think that they're priorities. So self-efficacy, market intelligence, strategic planning marketing strategy, sales strategy and skills, money management, business operations and business intelligence. And everything falls under those eight categories, like cybersecurity is under business operations, legal compliance, right? All that stuff falls under that. And then when we took a look at the money management, once we had the top, the categories focused, we then started looking at the research paper on each factor. And so like for money management, and I'm so glad that you said that it was, again, it was low capital investment, leanness of company, are being debt free as much as possible. R&D spending, and then a high investment in assets and sales growth and capacity utilization, making sure that you have really good resource acquisition and management, that you have employee capacity training, right? That you're making sure that you just, you want a big cash reserve, but that you're, you don't have a bunch of redundant inventory, right? That all of a sudden you're having to write off and all that sort of stuff. You clearly, you know what you're talking about. So can you maybe talk a bit about the company now and what are its current objectives? How where are things going? Do you guys have a three to five year plan? You've talked about, I don't know if we said it already. No, you did. You talked about, and I have notes from when we talked before and after we've hit record, but you talked about you, like you had two startup challenges. You're really into innovation. Is that part of the long-term strategy for the company? What do you, like, what are some of the goals? No, no. Startup challenges is like a fun to bring new technologies to a very old conservative business. Our main business is basically we are garage for aircraft. Uh, an aircraft comes to our hangar, it's totally disassembled, inspections are carried out, repairs are carried out, 
some parts are replaced with new, some parts are uh, repaired. It's again inspected, reassembled, and pushed away. It's, it's a blue cover garage mechanic work. Innovation in terms of is coming mostly from the aircraft manufacturers. It's new technologies, new materials, and things like that. Indirectly driving this, but we're not in the front runner. For us, strategy and growth will be going into different aircraft types of maintenance and also going to new locations and new territories to expand our uh, market list. And this is something we do because I'm responsible for Asia Pacific for strategy and my boss is head of Asia for our uh, aircraft maintenance segment. And we are constantly looking for opportunities to increase our footprints where it makes sense to satisfy the demand of, uh, of our customers. Again, it's following our marketing strategy and our sales strategy. And also we follow the customers and we follow the demand. Mm. And in order to satisfy the demand, we look for a good locations with where it's, we could execute properly our business model. So our business would require airport location that would require good connections to infra infrastructure is demanding. And also we would like to have uh, skilled mechanics. So that needs to mean that this location should have people. Also, logistics is very important for us. And we, we are evaluating those factors. Innovation is not a small part of it, but I would say that most important is to go on the core business. And this. Mm -hmm. our industry is not so much exposed to disruptions. The way aircraft were maintained now is not different probably to the first repair of Wright's brothers broke on the airplane when they landed, probably it's a different scale, but in its essence, it did not change. Mm, yeah. Okay. Now, how do you talk about obviously having to have people like the mechanics and that to work on the plane? How do you guys approach employee training? You've got a few thousand staff coming from an HR perspective. How do you guys train and develop within your organization to make sure staff are improving and growing? One of the reasons why we are in Philippines is that Philippines has great aviation traditions. It's Philippine Airlines is the first airline in Asia. It huh? has uh, lots of aviation colleges and schools, good knowledge, good skilled people, and we benefit from this. Our company in Philippines is existing for 23 years, and we are recognized as one of the good employers in the aviation sector. So we have good employer branding, mm. but what now it's happening. It's not only in our area. It's if before there was like a war for talent, Americans like to go for war for everything. Right. But I'll use this term if there was a war for talent and in order for you to do good and to accelerate and pass, bypass your competitors, you need the best people. Now it's war for people at all because there's no people in any side of the world, even in our fast growing region. And also this is supported by the global mobility and lots of Filipinos are working abroad and especially Filipinos are known to have a huge group of overseas workers working abroad. And I, I think it's valid for globally and for every sector of business, it's very difficult to find people. So mm. we as being good in terms of employer browning, having good traditions, having a good system, how to train the people in something which is passionate because you don't work in aviation to make money. You work because you have kerosene in the blood. It's a job line. It's a, it's an area of industry where you go not motivated to become a millionaire. Not, right. 
none of the people say, oh, I'm going to go work in aviation and I'm going to be millionaire. No, those guys go in investment banking. They go in pharmaceutical companies, software. They go in sports. None. I don't know anyone who said, I want to be millionaire by fixing being, being aircraft mechanic. No, came here because they're passionate at kids or whatsoever, fascinated by aviation or any other reason. Or they came, they didn't know where they're going in the state. And we have also the advantage to to attract people who come with their hearts open, with their passion about our industry. It helps, but still, even though we also face challenges on the, on, on the labor market. So I don't know how it's with you. you uh, in your field, is it easier for you to find people? Oh well, yeah. So we were talking about this before the call. Like it's been tough since COVID. It really has. It's been a lot of people that are disabled, that have relatives. I don't know what's going on. I'm not a, I'm not a big employer. I do work with a lot of different companies and I, there has been a talent like suck. I don't know how else to describe it. I do also know some people that have been, wa they watch all the charts and there's been a Six Sigma event, an increase in disabilities in the United States alone since 2021. So it's just been a huge increase in the number of people that are registered as disabled in the United States. So I'm not really sure about that. I'm, it's why talking to some people, I was actually talking to a gentleman who runs a BPO center here in the Philippines earlier today. They have 12,000 people and they, their culture, they've built their business really around training people up and, and really investing in them. He was talking about how they were paying a lot of salaries, even though maybe the clients, those businesses went under and they really have like a diehard for their people thing. And it's almost, it sounds like you're echoing the same for a lot of people in small, medium sized business. They're worried about just getting up and going, but once you're going, that's part of what I was really surprised by. I talked about how I hope that company makes so much money. I was really shocked because for me, I was just, I grew up in a small town. Like my, my, my dad was in physics, ge applied physics and ge geology, but we were an upper middle-class house. And so for us to do so much money, we were a small team of seven people, I think customer service included for us to do $3.2 million in eight months. Like I was like, we won the Super Bowl. Like we just need to keep this winning team together. But it was really shocking for me what, how money affected people and what happened. It was just, it was so wild. And then you hear about stories like Enron. I think they posted $100 billion in profit one year before they filed for bankruptcy. You hear about the story of Blockbuster versus Netflix. Blockbuster used to be a $6 billion a year company and they got taken out by a startup that originally it was like pizza. They just had catalogs of movies at people's house and you'd order a movie like you would pizza. And it was like, like, Blockbuster could have hired any talent. They could have developed any technology, could have bought Netflix, but they were just so disconnected. Newspaper and the internet, like they got disconnected from the business that they were in. So I've just been so surprised in my career to learn that for a lot of people getting up and running, first, they're just worried about like roof and ramen, like food on the table and paying the bills. But once you're in it, then all of a sudden it becomes, it's almost like chess. It becomes really much more complex. And the people element is huge. Even if you're in a software company, that's where people talk about AI now. I use the analogy that AI is just a calculator. You might be able to relate to this in finance. Like before calculators, maybe you had to, I don't think you're that old, but before calculators, you would have to crunch the numbers yourselves. And so productive people were very productive, but there were probably some people that they would lollygag and bill extra hours instead of just doing the math. And now that calculators came out, there's no excuse. And the productive people became more productive and the, the not so productive people, they lost their excuse to kill time. And so I feel like that's with AI. Like, you still need accountants. You still need analysts, right? The calculator didn't replace that. And same with AI. I think it shortened the cycle time in accomplishing things, but you're still going to need someone to manage the machines. You're still going to need someone like, again, even software. Someone has to be there um, to maintain it. So I don't think it's going to change it. So it's still at the end of the day, it comes down to people. So, so to, to speak to come bring it full house, I think it does come down to people. 
and training talent and trying to hold people's hand and have some sort of, and it's supposed to be your interview, not mine, but I definitely, I'm big on training. That's what I do. Right. And, uh, but I just think that's, that it just never stops. And so I think that's really important. And that's kind of leads to my next question to ask you, what specific skills or behaviors do you think are important for your staff to improve and develop? The mindset to know what to do when you don't know what to do. Mm. So it's most of the things that you're facing, you're going to, you're going to face situation when where you don't know what's the right way and how to fix this and developing a mechanism, how to address unknowns, ambiguities, it's going to make you go forward and know to know what to do when you don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. I think that's really, that makes, I think that's good. You need to have common sense. That's very important. You might not be brilliant intelligently. You might not be brilliant in technical skills, but also even the genius guys, they felt into, you need to level the knowledge of common sense, yep. good common sense. Yep. Yep. And again, you can always quote smart people like Warren Buffett, who says you need to have energy and integrity. And if you don't have the integrity, energy doesn't matter and things like that. You also cannot go wrong with this. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that even if you don't have an ethical bone in your body, even if you're not, even if secretly you just hate it, the world, if you want to have a business and you want to go places, you really have to do the best you can to treat everyone the best you can for your staff, your customers, your clients. It is a long-term game. It is a marathon of marathons. And you want to play long-term games with long-term people. And you can't, you just can't, you, especially in today's transparent world, you burn someone, they go online and now 4,000 people. I got burned by a company. I was an early, I was just an early adopter of their tool. And then out of the blue, they doubled their rates for the, it was a software tool that my team and I used. They just doubled the rates. And so all of a sudden I was paying something like 600 bucks a month for this tool, but their competitors, all their competitors are like a hundred, 150 bucks a month. And I replied, they said, they sent out an email. I checked and it was in my spam folder. I'm like, wait, I've been with you for over a year. I was one of your earliest customers. No notice, you like double, triple the rate. And so I sent out, and I have an email newsletter that I do once a week to about 10,000 people. And I didn't name the company. And some people were mad. You're like, if you care about us, you should really tell us who the company is. I didn't want to slander anybody. But my point is that for me, like it, it pissed me off. We changed. We went to someone else because they weren't even the market leader. Like you can charge a premium price. You can be an iPhone and charge a thousand bucks when the others are two, three, four hundred dollars. If you, if, if you really got something special, they didn't have that. And in today's day and age, it's so transparent. Someone like me, again, I didn't name them, but I can go, I could have gone and emailed 10,000 business professionals and been like, Hey stay away from these people. And so in today's day and age, even if you don't have an ethical bone in your body, you just have to try to take care of everybody, love on everybody. And I recognize it's a long-term, right? Like most people think you get a customer to make a sale. That's the, it's backwards. You get a sale, you, you make a sale to get a customer. And if a, go, if a sale is a golden egg, the customer is the goose who lays them. It's, if you would define a new employer every month, it would be so hard versus having an employer and those checks just keep coming as long as you keep producing. And so it really is about having something long-term. It really is. And especially if your business, like mine in business to business, there are only limited number of airlines. You cannot turn a customer back. And in our yep. industry, we always meet twice. You need to have a good standpoint, but also you need to also accommodate the positions of the others and make it work. Yep. It's back a, limited. Another advice is to understand that resources are limited. You need to be able to navigate with limited environment, limited yeah. restrictions from regulations, limitations from everything, and no excuses. I mean, it's like, 
No, I think that's, I think that's something came to my mind when you were talking about disruptions and I like realized that for, for aviation, the disruption didn't come from a technology breakthrough, a different business model. Disruptions come from something unexpected. So suddenly people stop traveling mm-hmm. and nobody was able to foresee that for whatsoever people will be not able to travel. Yeah. Yeah. And that's disruption. Nobody, nobody is safe. War is huge disruption. Yeah. Yeah. But that's. I don't know. It's to me, it's like act of God, act of God, like an earthquake or something. You need to be resilient and there's no better resilient people than Filipinos. We need to shout out for, yeah. for our home country <laughs> at the moment and give credit for the way they survive travels and to learn from them how to deal with it. Yeah. Maybe a bit more um, prevention if possible, but overall it's a great quality. I agree. I agree. I agree. So how let's talk. I'm, you said, actually, I want to say this because I think this is a good nugget for some people. You talked about oh, there's a limited number of airlines and their resources are limited. You, there is innovation that makes new breakthroughs. I had a friend after I helped do that with, and I was working with a lot of other clients, but I went back home for Christmas and I remember this guy, he was a contract, subcontractor. And he was asking me about the highest ROI marketing dollars he could spend. And I asked him where all his jobs come from. And he said, three guys. And I go, okay, did you get them anything for Christmas? Do you know when their anniversaries are? When's their birthday? Just surprising them with a bottle of their favorite booze or something. Remembering, I have a client. I remembered that his wife's, I guess I said his wife and kids gifts for Christmas. You know what I mean? Like my, I have my, I call her my wife. We've been together seven years, but we're not married. She sent a flower bouquet and chocolates to one of her clients. That client referred seven people and has been with her for three years. There's just, it's just, there is, yeah. So I just wanted to mention that because you've talked about that a couple of times about the importance of relationships and, and we've hit on that. Um, it's where the money are going exactly. It's not like you do a marketing campaign or advertisement and you don't know who sees it. You know where the market, the money is going exactly. Yeah. Of course, you need to follow compliance with incorporation. I cannot buy expensive gift to someone and give it even with my own money because it will be written in a different way. But uh, you, you need to be able to give gestures and it's not always about the money, but it no, could be a different way. But Building a relationship, it could be something that is not so material and it has emotional value. Yeah. Saying happy birthday de- Definitely, at least, as you said, greetings, tokens, cards. Yeah. It's huge, huge turnaround. Yeah. Huge yeah. Turnaround. yeah. Yeah. No one's going no to accuse you of corruption and bribery for remembering someone's birthday, but you know what? They're yes, going to remember you remembering that and that's free that's whatever it costs to send a text if you can't do gifts and that's a really powerful one so now when you talk because i know you in your field and i know that you've got a limited amount of time so i want to respect that i want to get more of your thoughts on things what are some of the greatest mistakes other businesses and maybe entrepreneurs making in your career of checking deals and even now and purchasing and interacting in industry and traveling around the world. Cause like you said, you, I think before recording, you're traveling again soon. You've been to what, like a hundred and something countries, I think. No, it's just 40 countries. Oh, just 40 countries. Only, only, only 40 countries. Yes. Just 40. I've only done business in 40 countries. Oh, okay. Oh, I just visited four countries. I've done business in three continents and let's say done business in 10 countries. Not so much. I like to travel also privately and I want ah, okay, to keep okay. like this, but. But even still, what are some of the greatest mistakes? Timing, overthinking, or hesitation, or rushing through. It's the biggest mistakes are in timing. It's like missing out or not doing. 
like mm-hmm. balance decisions with timing. Go from your industrial knowledge, go from your industrial leadership, apply it on the right, right size and the right time. Yeah. Many like- companies try to follow uh, trendsetters when already the opportunity is close. Yeah. Many companies hesitate to follow them when the opportunity is still there. Being the right timing can also judge what is the right timing for you. I think that's great advice. That's really good advice. Now, what do you feel are some of the habits that you've had that have helped you on your path to success? Talked about characteristics, but what about... I habits? will try to, not to speak from myself, from I, rather to try to reflect to some of the things that others said about me. And I had a guy who said, I'm never too optimistic when I see something and I'm never too critical when I see something. When I see something optimistic, I'm not, and I'm never too passionate about it. And I said, ah, it's super, I'm very critical, but I'm also critical when I see something too negative. I'm trying to balance out. So that's one of the things I try to have a balanced position. When something is too negative, it also concerns me to look and understand maybe it's not so negative. And when something is good, I want to understand why is it got so good. Is it really sound good in whatsoever? And that's one of the things that I think is bravery. I've been brave all my life and I'm going to stay like this and bravery. Yeah, okay. And unfortunately, it will sound arrogant after I said, oh, I'm smart and brave, but humility and being humble. It contradicts to the first two things we said, but I think humbleness is a good way to knock on any door. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Look at our local leaders. All of them are humble and our culture here is humbleness. It's nothing to do with the aggressive macho Eastern European culture where I come or the American cowboy culture. And Right. Yeah, I agree. One of the last questions is what do you see the future trends of your industry? Where are things going to be in five, 10 years? Are we all going to be riding Elon's BFR to go from city to city or? Where do you I don't know. I've been recently listening to the CEO of Airbus. And he said, I'll quote him, we are at the fourth stage of aviation and we are now at the stage of decarbonization. So everything related to decarbonization will be the trend for aviation, reducing emissions. Making aircraft more efficient, using sustainable aircraft fuels and all these trends related to Air balloons. (laughs) Going back to the Hindenburg. Hindenburg. That's maybe, maybe why not? There are also some former colleagues doing electrical driven planes. Let's see where it goes. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Fun. This has been a great call. You've given a Thank you very much. Great advice. Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? You can always invite me twice based on your audience requests or based on time. So let us keep this for the next call. Okay. And if people want to reach out, if they have questions for you, want to reach out and chat, how, what are some of the best ways to get in touch? I'm available on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn. Okay. Yes. So look them up. That's Stefan, S-T-E-F-A-N, Yordanov, Y-O-R-D-A-N-O-V. Correct. And if you just look up Lufthansa Technique Philippines, L-U-F-T-H-A-N-S-A, Technique, T-E-C-H-N-I-K, Philippines. So again, Stefan Yordanov, Y-O-R-D-A-N-O-V. I imagine there's not a ton of people with that last name. In the Philippines. There are some, some other famous people, more famous than people than me with the similar, with the same names, but Stefan Lukas, you'll find. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So take a look for him, reach out, say hi. He's obviously got a wealth of knowledge 
And just thank you again, Stefan. I know you've got a bunch of staff. You've got a big company, a lot of other people you'll be talking to. So thank you for coming and sharing. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure talking to you.